0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: 705 on CJAD 800. Welcome to a new year of Today's Entrepreneur here on CJAD, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Happy New Year, Josh.
2: Happy New Year, Dan. Thanks for stopping are we by. Allows, are we allowed to still wish each other Happy New Year? Well,
1: yeah, we're the 26th now. I mean, it's, it's we're cutting it close. Happy Valentine's Day soon. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Valentine. <laughs> Um, we're going to get to the guys from Chef on Call in a moment, but first, uh, shall we take a look at uh, some of the stories making business news in the past uh, couple of weeks? And the, um, I mean, the big story, of course, uh, over the holidays or just uh, last week actually, was uh, the demise of Target Canada. And
2: you know, I, I don't know if everybody if anybody saw it coming or everybody saw it coming. Certainly, from a consumer standpoint, you look into the stores and you saw the shelves and and they were kind of half bare and and they weren't you know the from a supplier standpoint, they weren't necessarily timely with their payments and all that, but everybody, you know, there were a lot of people that said, but they're huge and they're everywhere and they've invested so much, you know, Is one of these, are they too big to fail? Uh, But clearly that wasn't the case. And I think entrepreneurs uh, can learn a lot of lessons from it. One is certainly, you know, Insuring your receivables certainly, if you're an entrepreneur and you're a smaller shop and you you can't afford to to lose some of those uh, some of those big orders, some of the collections coming in, then insuring your receivables that is huge and that certainly will save a lot of people uh, a whole chunk of change and not have that as as much bad debts as possible. So whether it's Target or whether it's a small mom and pop stores, uh, really really look at the credit and see uh, what's worth the insurance. And some people look at it as a cost, but you know, insurance insurance is just that. It's only for when things go bad. And and in markets like this, economies like this, you just you just got to watch and you got to be careful and you got to plan.
1: A lot of shoppers, like you said, uh, were not surprised because they saw a lot of the empty shelves. And it seems like maybe they Target wasn't totally prepared when they came into
2: the Canadian market, maybe a bit rushed. Well, I, I don't know if it was rushed or if it was poor merchandising. Uh, certainly, I think a lot of the Canadians, at least from the, the reports I hear, not only from friends and family and... And, and other consumers, but certainly what you read in the paper is that the feeling was that the Target locations in Canada didn't match up to the Target locations in, in the United States. It wasn't the same merchandising. It wasn't the same price points. It wasn't the same feel. And where a lot of Canadians were really looking forward to that kind of identical shopping experience, it just didn't happen. Where tar- the, the big people at Target, the top people said, well, no, it's going to be a little bit different. And maybe they just didn't understand the market. And uh, does small or big, you gotta research your
1: market. And uh, retail continues to make the news here in Montreal uh, over the holidays. Uh, a couple more uh, retail sp- uh, um, uh, retail outlets went bankrupt. A MEX, uh is is no longer, I believe, uh, here in, in Canada, which is a shame. Um, but amid all this uncertainty, uh, one big Japanese uh, fashion retailer called Uniqlo announced that they are now coming uh, to uh, to um, to Canada, and they're going to start in Toronto. Do you, do you think this is a, a good idea? I mean, do we need? Uh, is the market sort of saturated now at
2: this point with a um, multi- multinational fashion uh, brands? Uh, I think there's always room for somebody that understands the market and brings the right merchandising at the right price point. Target could have made it if they understood their market, their local market, a little bit better. If they chose, maybe, uh, there were a number of locations that were that were just fine, but maybe it wasn't the perfect location for that Target market, so to speak. Uh, Uniqlo, uh, it's certainly new to, uh, to Canada. It's been uh, certainly... In overseas for for many years, uh, you know, if you're, if you're watching tennis, you'll you'll see some of the players. Certainly, um, uh, no, um, uh, Novak um, and his name is escaping me, of course. Even though I'm watching, I can't him. help you there. I don't know any <laughs> tennis players. <laughs> Novak Djokovic. Novak Thank Djokovic. You. Right. Novak Djokovic. Uh, you know, he's been wearing it for for years, and uh, and it's a great spokesperson, and it's supposedly a great product. I've been in the stores in New York. It's a little bit of chaos, I must admit. But it's chaos probably at the right price point uh, and the right market. So if you have the right idea and the right dollars behind it and absolutely the right market research, you can do well. So it's like an H&M kind of uh, situation? Uh, It might be similar to it. I think it's a slightly different design. It's maybe a little bit less fashion. I mean, there is certainly some fashion to it, but I think there's a, a sports aspect to it as well.
1: Let's talk about Greece. Uh, the econo- their economy uh, continues to be in trouble, and the government now is in chaos. They just elected a new government, uh, which is anti-austerity. So uh, certainly in terms of world, uh, the world economy, world business, a lot of nerves. For those who have a, a stake in Greece, and many Canadian entrepreneurs uh, do that, uh, do have a, a big stake in Greece as well. What's your advice for entrepreneurs who do a lot of business in Greece? Is this a good time to explore uh, opportunities when things could be uh, inexpensive or easily gobbled up in Greece? Or, or
2: do you sort of take a more cautious approach? I don't know how anybody can invest in the unknown. There is so much uncertainty, and you have no understanding or, or real know-how which direction anything is going. It's absolutely doom and gloom. There's so much unemployment, uh, not just, uh, not, I mean, all ages, but certainly the youth as well, where you hear these massive unemployment rates. Uh, and I don't know if it's going in the right direction. There's a certainly a big underground economy. If you can get a hold of that, you might be able to do well. But uh, there, there's no doubt that uh, to make an investment in Greece, it better be very informed and you better be very present. Like owning a restaurant, you know, if you're not there all the time, they're gonna steal from right from under you. So if you're gonna invest in Greece, go in eyes wide open, check every day, and uh, and be absolutely present. That that being said, wouldn't be my first place that I would try and bargain hunt.
1: And if you have uh, if you orders from Greece, if you
2: have uh, suppliers in Greece, is now maybe a good time to line up some backup suppliers. I think anywhere in the world is always good to line up some backup suppliers. Greece, uh, certainly one of the one of the pigs countries. Um, being Portugal, Italy, Spain, and Greece, uh, it, they're absolutely you got. You listen, you got to cover your rear end on all that stuff. Certainly, in any country that that could fail at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, let's
1: move on to Red Tape Awareness Week. Uh, this was last week in Canada. It's put on by the Canadian uh, Federation of Independent Business, and the the goal. Um, I was interviewing the uh, one of the executive director last week, and and they said it's it's really an occasion to talk about just how much entrepreneurs are handcuffed by red tape. Um, not just government red tape, but all kinds of red tape on a regular basis. Of course, there's the tax issue. Uh, that's coming up around the corner already. Um, g- give us a sense of, about just how much of the um, the average entrepreneur's time is taken up by, by red tape. So that, that's to say taxes or uh,
2: conforming to government regulations in general. The, there's no doubt it takes up an inordinate amount of time. Listen, we're as, as we live in a somewhat socialist society, you have all the deductions of source and the CSST, the workman's compensation. Uh, but on top of that, you also have uh, all the sales tax issues. You have the government reporting. You even have some ecological reporting uh, that can be done. I mean, I'm waiting for the carbon credits to be forced uh, into reporting. Uh, there's no doubt. Now, the governments are trying to be a little bit more slick about it. They are trying to improve their online reporting, which absolutely will help uh, and has helped over the years. Certainly when you're filing tax returns, be it personal or corporate, uh, and and they're getting better with other other items to file online, such as your, your tax slips, your T4s and all, all that kind of stuff. There's certainly a lot more work to do. And it's not, one point, the red tape is going to be a little, is going to be a lot easier and is going to be smoother as you as you really put stuff out there online and you, the information is so readily available in your computer system that it'll be somewhat easy. But you can't forget of the thousands of auditors that are on the road stopping in at all the businesses saying, okay, prove it to me, show me, pull everything out. I want to see all these invoices and all that. So that red tape where you thought, you know, you're getting a handle on it and you're, and things are pretty smooth. Now a government agent comes in and says, okay, I'm glad you did all that. Now spend another three weeks pulling everything out and proving to me that you're doing okay. Now I understand they have, they have a job to do and our governments, you know, certainly could use the funds. Uh, but, uh, but they're creating certainly that much more work and that much more compliance for today's entrepreneur.
1: It's. I can't think of an entrepreneur in Quebec who
2: hasn't underestimated the amount of red tape they had to go through. And when you're even when you're starting a business, I mean, it can be really easy to get set up and go, but it's really the ongoing. And the entrepreneur just has to know, keep your reporting. Don't be late. If you are late, penalties will happen. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. We'll get to our profiles
1: in just a moment. Rob Kaufman and Gabriel Malbogat from Chef on Call. They're on the way, but first, 7.15...
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 718
1: on CJD. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Time for our profile, our first profile of the year. And in studio with us from Chef on Call, Rob Kaufman and Gabriel Malbougat. Rob, Gabe, uh, welcome to CJD.
3: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for the first show of the new year. Very excited.
1: And thanks for bringing the food, too. We'll uh, snack on that during the breaks. But um, tell me about uh, Chef on Call and and how you guys started the business.
3: Well, how it was originally started was... um, I would order food almost every night um, from a, another restaurant, and we noticed that every time I would call, the lines would be busy and the operator wouldn't even be thankful that your calling was almost like, could give me your order, get off the phone next mm. um, type of feel. So even with the food quality that they had, they were still always busy no matter what. So we noticed the void in the market um, where someone would provide good customer service and a good meal at the same time where everything um, is fresh. I'll let Gabe go into... Um, yeah, so
4: we kind of uh, started in his tiny lassite kitchen apartment just to test the market out. And within about two weeks, we quickly realized that we outgrew that kitchen apartment through <laughs> uh, kitchen fires and <laughs> what have you. Uh, But eventually, we set, set back and took a look at exactly how many orders we were doing and we j- jumped into just getting a small commercial location right next to McGill University. And from there, we just had the idea that we would do exactly what we were doing in the apartment, but right out of this basement, tiny location.
2: Now, Chef on Call, it might sound obvious to everybody, but like what kind of food do you prepare and deliver? You you had mentioned, Rob, that you were tired of not only some of the service, but maybe some of the foods as well. So what type of food do you, do you make and offer your, your clientele?
3: Well, the thing where we differentiate ourselves, um, is we have a whole line of dipping sauces, which we make homemade fresh every day, as well as our burgers. They're homemade. The patties are made fresh every day. We have a beef patty and we also have a chicken patty, which is, um, it's a special deep fried chicken kind of big tender. Um, that well, also our chicken tenders are extremely popular. Also hand breaded fresh every day. So you'll see, I mean, it's not like the frozen everyday stuff, It's like a classic burger that they take out of the freezer, put it on the grill. I mean, we put love into our food. you definitely taste it.
4: Yeah, so as you said, everything is homemade. Um, We make homemade dipping sauces, homemade hand-breaded chicken breasts, uh, chicken tenders is what we like to call them. When
2: when you first started, was there... Is the menu today the same as the menu when you first started? Like when you first started, were there like three, four main items and then you kind of expanded from there? What did you start with?
4: Yeah, our menu from the onset we wanted to create a menu that had covered the whole nine yards from sandwiches to chicken tenders to chicken wings to also offering healthier options like wraps and salads Um, but if you look at a menu that we created on the very first year and then you look at the menu today it's a complete different design it's a complete different offering of dishes Uh, we've definitely kind of increased our menu from the beginning and now we have 14 burgers we have like nine sandwiches six different wraps
2: now you're you're coming out of the kind of school the downtown area are you staying in the downtown area your delivery service when you consciously started was it a a closed in area
3: or do are you servicing really a wider i mean originally uh we focused primarily on the McGill student ghetto which is almost like a four block radius Um, From that and also watching our competition, we saw how far their delivery zone was. Um, It went all the way to Atwater to Papineau. So we decided to give it a shot and extend our boundaries. And there are still students living around those areas as well, so we were able to pick up pretty quickly. And now we're trying to uh, dive into the young professional market and also seeing how a lot of our students have graduated in the past uh, five years that we've been open. They're they're working in law firms. They're working in accounting firms. So they're getting the word out there to those firms, but it's not as fast as uh, we'd like to get.
2: Sounds like some uh, interesting uh, marketing that had to get done over the years. When we come back from the break, we'll explore that. Rob Kaufman and Gabriel
1: Malbagat from Chef on Call with us tonight on Today's Entrepreneur 723.
0: <laughs> For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on FLMontreal.com.
1: On today's Entrepreneur This Evening, Rob Kaufman and Gabriel Malbogat from Chef on Call. Uh, So we're talking about how you guys started out, basically geared towards um, students in the McGill Ghetto. And how did you, uh, dis- you decided eventually that uh, the market was there and you wanted to expand. How did you um, how did you communicate to your clients uh, that, that really you guys were here for the long haul, that you were going to expand? And, and how did you re- reach out to those other areas uh, effectively?
4: Um, I think partially the way we reached out to them is just by identifying with the st- student culture itself. At the time when we opened up the business, we were kind of ingrained in the student community itself. And word of mouth helped out a lot just by people wanting to know what, uh, what new business students were coming out with. And once they tasted the food, it kind of went from there. Um, and then over the years, we kind of realized what worked and what didn't. Uh, in the beginning, we did a lot of just door-to-door flyering, trying to get the word out within uh, that small McGill ghetto area. And then kind of when we established ourselves, we started working very closely with the student unions and uh, student charities, and just kind of creating a relationship with them where they knew we could partner up with them on certain events and get the word out to their demographic as well, their uh, market. Um, and then when we started it, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram were kind of just on the rise and we've seen a lot of changes happen in the past five years since we started it. But in the beginning, it was a lot easier to get the word out to your uh, the people that liked your group over Facebook or uh, get more followers on Instagram just by using certain. Yeah. So,
2: so would you say you were an early adopter of these social medias and you kind of got really comfortable with them under your belt before many other people, including maybe some of your competition?
4: Yeah, I'd say that, uh, we had kind of the first movers advantage, I'd guess, I guess I'd say. Um, and over the years we've kind of tried to see what would work and tweak it and, this past month in uh, 2015, we actually came out with a new campaign. Uh, it's called the Donator Campaign, where we team up with different charities every month. And the charity of the month gets uh, proceeds from the sales of the donator. Mm-hmm. And we are working this month with uh, Jay Dexter. It's an after-school program that uh, basically helps develop kids' school kids' education through physical activity and uh that's the charity we chose for this month, but we'll be working with new charities for the rest of 2015, and it's kind of what we're going to be doing.
2: So it's kind of a marketing slash community give back kind of exactly. campaign or kind of idea.
4: Yeah, we, we hadn't ever really done anything like that in the past, and we've always worked closely with charities, uh, but this time we want, actually wanted to provide them with something and provide our demographic with something that feels good when they're purchasing our food.
2: Th- there's no question, I mean, you're dealing with students, so social media plays a big role. Does it some entrepreneurs have expressed that, you know, does it take up a lot of time? How many posts do I got to do? Does does having an active social media campaign take up a lot of your time? Or have you learned to manage it pretty well?
4: I think that, one, you have to learn to outsource work because you can't do everything yourself. Um, we have a really good team at Chef on Call, people that help us. So, you know, I have someone who takes care of a lot of social media posts that we have to do and just planning certain posts for the week uh, helps out a lot and it's one of those things that you have to be on top of it at all times and you have to make sure that the content you're producing is actually something that people want to read
2: now rob mentioned earlier okay now you're going to move beyond students you're getting into the young professionals, certainly your past customers that have now also moved on and, and left university How do you connect with them? Do you just stay in the social media or do you find, do you find that your existing marketing programs work or do you have to be different?
4: I think that that's kind of been a a tough transition for us to capitalize on the office market crowd, just because we know that that market itself could sustain a business just, just by marketing to an office crowd. Um, But the fact that we, Market just as students and to cross the barrier into the young professional office crowd is it's been a bit challenging, but we have attempted ways in which to get out there, whether it's hiring people to go to offices themselves and give them gift certificates or just networking with the secretaries and as Rob said before, just... The people that are lawyers or accountants or people that we work with from a corporate standpoint point of view, uh, they help us out by getting the word out to the offices too.
2: Networking with the secretaries. its not a euphemism, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, more of the guys from Chef
1: on Call after the break at 7.30.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: A new year for today's entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, our profile is uh, chef on call. Rob Kaufman and Gabriel Mabegata join us in studio. So this is a delivery service. You guys make some good food. I've ordered it myself downtown, and uh, it's it's really good stuff. Tell me about the the cutthroat downtown delivery market because you see all these guys zipping around. You know, especially that, that orange car. They seem to be everywhere. <laughs> you don't want to mess with the orange car people. Um, how is it sort of competing in this very sort of um, it's it's a prime market, I guess, for for delivery. So many people concentrate in such a small area. How do you uh, how do you distinguish yourselves and uh, and uh, break through when you have so much competition?
3: I mean, like you said, the orange cards noticeable nouveau system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're an army, those guys. Yeah, they're they an army. Um, but you could tell. I mean, like so we we have uh, now many car tops. Uh, you'll see our cars driving by as well. We have about anywhere from ten to fifteen cars on the road. Um, you'll see like a chiffon call dome on top of the car, as well as we have bumper stickers, chef on call delivery.com. There is, it is tough. It is cutthroat out there. I mean, we see all these delivery drivers all the time on the road and they're zipping and but we make sure our drivers like uh, handle it responsibly. I mean, like we are represented outside on the streets. We, our drivers know not to be rude to people or pedestrians always be polite and we don't want to give a bad name on the road as well. So our drivers know. It must take a
2: lot of planning, a lot of effort to know when and where to deliver all the all the 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 meals that come through whether it's online uh, or whether it's by phone call and it's one thing when you started 6 years ago and you were within a four block radius it's another thing when you've expanded to your you know 80 block radius or 50 block radius whatever it is uh, how do you, how do you manage all those drivers delivery do you is it is it a great person is a great software what do you do
4: uh, it's just it's dispatching properly uh The people we train to get to that dispatching position, they have to be working with us for quite a while before they can actually graduate into that position because at the same time, you're dispatching 10 different drivers that obviously want 10 different orders and to take those as many orders as possible. So the dispatcher just has to be able to correctly kind of look back and see exactly which order is the best one to do. And it's usually the people that actually have experience driving in Montreal because obviously, Montreal downtown, with the amount of one-ways, the constant traffic from whatever construction has to happen every year. Uh,
2: now, how many total employees are you today?
4: I think we're at about 60 now, but that's full-time and part-time.
2: So that's that's a huge jump from or from when you first started in 2009 or late 2008 to probably just a, a few people to 60. How did you manage the growth? What was the, a little bit of the growing pains that, that you experienced?
4: Um, Well, we were lucky enough to start Chef One Call with so much support from friends and family. Uh, So that really helped with obviously our labor costs. And it took us quite a while to finally find the core, which was what we like to call them, the the senior workers, the senior partners that we like to have involved. Um, It took us quite a bit of time because even today we're still trying to find people to get a part of that core. And once we found the team uh, the business started being able to sustain itself a little bit more. We didn't have to stress out as much when we weren't there.
2: When you you you're so ingrained in the student community, do you get a lot of students as employees, or over the years have you found that you've kind of quote unquote graduated from that uh, from that level?
3: Well, that's it. I mean, um, it depends on. There's three. The way we broke it down was three different uh, parts of the business. One being the driving. Second being the people that take the for, the uh, phone call and the order on the phone. And then the third being the cook section. So for each field, we decided um for more of the people on the phones, we wanted to keep it more people our age, so we'll do different, uh, like McGill classifieds instead of Craigslist. And then for the kitchen, we don't mind if it's a younger person or if it's an older person, just depending on how many hours they would like to work. So we need someone that's going to be in the kitchen kind of full time, very dedicated, and knows what they're doing. So we're looking for someone a little more experienced, a little older for that position. And as for the drivers as well, it kind of varies in between students, and we have even fathers and grandfathers that are drivers right now. But um, I mean, like like you said, we, we're always looking on McGill Classified and Craigslist for other, depending on the
2: C- Certainly managing the characters. Now, as, okay. as you've kind of grown over the years with all the, the people going from family and friends to all your employees, have you had to get more formal in your processes? I mean, creating manuals, so everything is pretty consistent across the board?
4: Yeah, uh, we're constantly updating our policies and procedures, manuals. Uh, If if we switch one thing in the restaurant, whether it's not just putting a new sticker on a burger, it's like we have to update our policies and manuals, procedures, lists, and it's just we have to make sure that we're constantly always making sure that it's updated and and that the employees know exactly what the process is to to get the order to the customer.
2: At what point did you go from that informal, we're just kind of talking about it and people doing it, to the formal, let's put everything in writing to make sure
3: everybody's following it? Was there kind of a tipping point? I'd say um, after our first location actually outgrew itself, Um, we took too many orders for the size. It's only 600 square feet, actually, on Sherbrooke and Park Avenue. So from then, we had to open a second store, which is on Bishop and Demazenev. So we knew to make things go as easy as possible we needed to be formalized so we created manuals, we created procedures, checklists I mean we made sure everything was down to the T so that anyone else coming into the new location um, could help us out in terms of they see exactly what to do for each situation so there are manuals and now We've used the social media to get out to our employees um, when something does get updated, and we could see like through Facebook if they read the message or not, and who read the message so that they have been updated on the new procedures.
2: Now, one of the aspects that we hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, or one of the challenges is, when you have so many people, so many team members, You know, are they all on the same page? Do you all have the same culture? Is it difficult to keep that and maintain that culture, Throughout, how have you been able to? A, are you successful maintaining a single culture? And if you have been, how?
4: It's just creating synergy within the employees and making sure that they feel like they're a part of a team and that they're not in it just by themselves. We go through a large screening process when it comes to actually hiring and recruitment. Um, because our team is quite significantly small, it takes um, someone has to obviously complement the current employees we have, so they have to be able to work within the team. And I'd say that over time, it, it's we've kind of come to realize that students their their night clock is 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 up late. They're constantly up, and we know that they're going to be able to be on 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 the ball or on point during at 4 a.m. You know because they're up that at that time. So we find that. A lot of the customer service reps are students and they, they identify with the brand itself since it's such a student-oriented brand and we market to students. They, they find that they're coming through and they, the last recruitment process we did, we actually had like 25 uh, customer service reps apply for the job, but only five got the job. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's becoming more and more a sought after job when it was just Rob and I in the front customer service area.
1: As young entrepreneurs, uh, what do you think has been your most important lesson over the last few years? Uh, anything that you would uh, do over if you could?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's one thing. Starting the company when we first did, we didn't forecast the, to where it would be today. So when we got that 600-square-foot kitchen on Sherbrooke and Park, we definitely thought it would be more than enough to handle the capacity. And like what happened in the apartment, we we outgrew that too. So I'd say it's really knowing your business and the field, knowing the outside market to what the potential could be reached at. So if we planned ahead when we first started, we wouldn't be in problems like reinvesting into the same restaurant because we, we realized we need this piece of equipment now and we have to open another store. So that was another investment on its own. So it's more knowing what type of business you're getting into and being able to project the future at the beginning. And, and I'll, I'll
2: kind of elaborate on Dan's question. When you're you're coming out of, of school and you're, you know, six years ago students and you had this great idea, maybe what was the biggest challenge of, of running that business? Was it, dealing with partners was it kind of creating a Cheryl's agreement was it dealing with cash flow what was the thing that you had to and you had to wrap your your heads around the whole thing i get it but is there one that stood out and said you know what man i'm really glad I, I got that under my belt
4: well originally when we started like there were a lot of partners involved but when you look back at it like we needed those partners to be helping us with the work and on, if it wasn't for that probably we wouldn't have been able to get chef on call off the ground as as much as we did um but yeah, I'd say that one, obviously running a out of a 200 square foot kitchen, if you're trying to do 60 orders in an hour, there's going to be operational inefficiencies, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've tried to streamline it as much as possible. And it's kind of given us the experience to work within a small kitchen. And it just kind of raises the question of what are we capable of doing in a larger kitchen? And we've always like once we look at our balance reports or how much we've done on in sales for that year the next year no matter what we forecast it's always bigger it's always going to be more than what we actually anticipated so it's kind of moving outside of the box and realizing like chef one call is going to be it can provide a lot more people and since we're based out of montreal and montreal is a city that obviously thrives off nightlife um there's really no telling as to how far we can go in terms of getting the uh nightlife crowd to order.
1: And yeah, they're, they're pretty hungry late at night. Um, <laughs> Chef on call. Thanks, uh, guys. We'll have you back uh, in a few minutes to talk about your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. And we'll have Kevin Ahriman uh, to recap uh, some IT issues uh, in a moment. So that's coming up. But first,
0: 7.45. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. Our guests, Rob Kaufman and Gabriel Malbogat from Chef on Call. And we'll bring in Kevin Ammerman, IT specialist with Fuller Landau with our uh, monthly tech chat. And uh, should we begin with our usual uh, Twiddle segment, Kevin? Uh, this weekend data loss?
5: Certainly. It's been uh, fairly quiet in the little post holiday season, a little bit surprisingly quiet. I kind of expected to hear a few more disasters after the, the big holiday shopping rush. But uh, the most recent two big problems that have made the news have uh, affected business travelers, which is sort of kitten close to home for uh, some of our hosts here, I believe. I'm on a plane tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, Starwood Preferred Guests, the loyalty program, mm-hmm. was one of the most recent ones to get hacked. And uh, this was kind of an interesting one because uh, the, the, the hackers recycled passwords. So the passwords had been found through other sites. They tested those passwords against the Starwood accounts and got a whole bunch of people's loyalty points. Hmm. which they uh, quickly converted to gift cards and, you know, blew on big screen TVs. Uh, And the other one is Park & Fly. So they get you coming and going at the airport, apparently. Hmm. So the Park & Fly people, they actually lost a whole bunch of credit card information, which is, you know, it's pretty scary. That's a lot of financial information out there. It
2: uh, definitely is. Let's go on to something a little (laughs) less scary. And uh, certainly with Chef on Call, you know, we were talking, we didn't elaborate too much, but... Uh, While well, you can certainly call in for your orders, there there is uh, an online, and, and I think there's a good chunk of your customers that uh, that do order online. But what I want to get to, Kevin, is the, the communication of people's online ordering with the back end or with some of the accounting packages. Maybe you can elaborate on what some of the challenges are and maybe what some entrepreneurs should look out for.
5: Well, it's kind of it's actually almost a three-part problem. So you've got the, the brochure part of the website, then you've got the online ordering segment, and then you've got the accounting system that sort of backs it all up and makes sure that you can, uh, when you get audited, you've got some numbers to show people. There's the red tape again. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, trying to get all those pieces talking is a bit of a challenge. The, f- the first two are not so bad, but that last link, the link between the ordering system and the accounting system can be a, a huge challenge. And the trick is, what if you're going to change part of this down the road? So often it's, it's easy enough to get, well, easy enough. It's a big project to get going from day one. But if five years from now, if your needs change, that's when things start to get a little bit complex. So trying to make that plan up front, trying to make sure that there are interfaces between the, the, the ordering system and the accounting system that are generic enough that if you change your accounting system down the road, for example, uh, everything doesn't break. That's the big problem. Uh, Rob, Gabe, are you
2: experiencing this challenge too with your online? Have you have you gotten it to communicate with accounting? You're still doing it kind of manually.
3: Currently, um, when the government released the MEV, which yeah. is a little blue box uh, for all the restaurants, which records every sale that you make we weren't able to integrate the online ordering directly into our POS software, meaning we would get an online order almost like an email. The email would print, and then we'd have to re-input the order just for accounting purposes and for uh, for the government. So there is definitely a challenge for us. We're actually exploring how we can make that challenge uh, no more. <laughs> so we got with our tech people, we got with our POS providers, and they're working together right now to help us provide... A one-stop package for that. So
1: talking about red
3: tape, I mean, right off the bat, there's a
1: perfect example. The government just doubled their paperwork instantly.
5: Well, yeah, and it's it's very specific to this industry as well. So the, the MEV and the restaurant industry, this is something that most businesses don't have to put up with and, and most point-of-sale systems are not written to handle. So it is a big problem. And certainly when
2: we come back after the break, we can kind of chat about where all this information is stored as well. You have your online system. You want it to talk to your accounting package. Do you leave it in the cloud or do you have your own servers? More with Chef on Call and Kevin on IT issues after the break.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: Guys from chef on call are here Rob Kaufman and Gabriel Mabagat, and we have uh, Kevin Ammerman uh, talking about IT for Fuller Orlando and uh, talking about systems and it's, it's especially difficult on the restaurant industry with that uh, that new system of course and people were forced to uh, get that electronic uh, uh, pay system um, and then syncing that up with the back end is now difficult and and in, in their case they're repeating the paperwork twice for now um, what about uh, about accounting software do you have any um, any good uh, any good tips there in terms of what programs you'll like better or perhaps uh which go well
5: uh maybe on the cloud um i honestly with the with a business such as this with the restaurant and especially delivery business doing a cloud-based accounting system i ha- i'm not sure if it would even work okay because of the the requirement for the mev hardware um it would be quite tricky to insert it as a shim into into a pure online accounting system you, you pretty much need to have something in-house i'm sure there are exceptions but uh you know taking the easy way out you'd, you'd probably have to do it in-house um, where the cloud systems really come into play is for more, um, some professional services kind of businesses and especially very small businesses. So if you're just a few people and you're not really doing any payroll or anything like that, you're just trying to, you know, enter some invoices and write some checks. That's where the cloud systems really come into play. And, uh, depending on the size of your business, the, the, the costs range from free to just, you know, a, a few dollars per month. Do
2: you really, do you have to be wary about the free ones? Do they do everything right or... Might there always be some little glitch or some aspect that they don't necessarily do versus the systems and softwares that have been around for uh, decades that really do it well?
5: The ones that have been around for years are definitely a more known, quanti- uh, known quantity, you know what you're getting into. But if you're a small business and you have a little bit of time to spare to try out these online things, you can find some pretty amazing software. So some of them are completely full-featured software, but they limit, for example, how many suppliers you can write checks to. Okay, So if, if you only deal with a small number of suppliers, like maybe five, uh, then you can get completely full-featured software for free. Um, so it works out quite well that way. Different products do have different pricing models, so it's worth looking around. Uh, but as I say, it's for a small business, it's not necessarily a huge risk to try out and maybe even fail a couple of times trying out these online softwares. You're, you're, you're losing a few hours of time, but uh, that's really the extent of the investment. And certainly today
2: with, uh, with employees and, and different partners and working remote in different locations, online could definitely serve a purpose if you're, if you have three or four different people accessing information from three or four different locations.
5: 100% yes, especially if you're the kind of business that has uh, a mobile sales force. Uh, it, can, it can really be advantageous to go straight to the cloud. Don't bother with this in-house stuff. And then you get all the advantages of having uh, interfaces on your on your mobile phones, web access, and the capability to share it across large distances as well.
2: And I think I think the mobile phone access part is, uh, well, depending on what size screen you have, if you have a, a brick like my passport or, or something a little smaller uh, and the information is either readily viewable or a little bit too teeny-weeny.
5: <laughs> it's not so bad.
2: As we come up to the last moments of the show, uh, as we uh, do on every other show, we're going to turn to Rob and Gabe and ask them what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? Gabe?
4: Um. I think that one piece of advice I would give is just to be be ready. Know what you're getting into. Um, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, make sure that you're financially prepared. Uh, we live and we breathe and bleed, Chef One Call, all day and all night. Like It's open till 4 in the morning, and it's not like we're leaving at 4 in the morning. Um, you have to be passionate, and you have to be able to just not stress out and uh, be able to kind of find your zen at times.
3: Excellent. Rob? Yeah, like you said, it's more being... um, When you're into the business, I mean, like, it comes... It's not work anymore. It's it's more for, like, the love of... of providing for us it's love of providing food to mcgill's to stu- our students in general and young professionals or anyone who's up late and needs a good meal i mean that's where that's what we love doing so it helps excellent <laughs>
2: yeah. dan, dan my my quick takeaway on this is we we'll come to our last moments and it was kind of subtle throughout the show but the ability for the entrepreneur to adapt to change to roll with the punches and to adjust or modify their business model as they go and i think what we've heard from gabe and rob uh, throughout the show is they were able to move along and adjust as they had to.
1: Thanks, Josh. Thanks to Kevin Araman and to Rob Kaufman and Gabriel Mal- Malbagat from Chef on Call. Thanks for stopping by, guys. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Back here next week, 7 p.m. on Talk Radio, CJAD 800.